0: I think one thing for me, the reason why I played basketball as long as I did was because I was playing for Team Canada. To play for something that was bigger than myself. Excellence is about spin, and excellence is a requirement in the
1: great culture. Welcome to Unfiltered Athletes. I'm your host, Leo. In this podcast, we go behind the scenes with world-class athletes to reveal the untold stories of their journeys. From grueling training sessions to mental strategies to achieve greatness, get ready for a raw, unfiltered look at the world of sports. Today, I'm excited to introduce our guest, Miranda Ayim, the former co-captain of Team Basketball Canada and Canada's flag bearer at the 2020 Olympics in Tokyo. Join us as Miranda, from London, Ontario, reflects on her incredible journey which led her to Turkey and predominantly in France, where she spent six impactful years with Basketland, appreciating the team's unique human approach. Now a dedicated wellness coach, Miranda shares how her passion for Team Canada has been the driving force throughout her career, discovering the true purpose of playing basketball while proudly representing her country. I believe you'll find this episode just as pleasing as I did recording it starting with Miranda's earliest ball memories.
0: Shooting hoops with my dad in my driveway, the way a lot of basketballers, I think, start, yeah. just in your driveway with those crooked kind of basketball stands. In fact, actually, ours was nailed to our garage and just learning the principles of a good shot because my dad played in college uh, basketball and I just remember him breaking it down and me learning the the functional steps of how to shoot well.
1: Were, were you uh, here
0: in, in London? Yes, I was. My childhood home in the north side of London. And uh, yeah, many, many memories made there, both with my, my dad, my mom as well. She played and she coached for so many years and obviously played against my brother growing up.
1: Okay, so you were not, it was not just random sport, like your two parents were... In basketball so you had some sort of inspiration
0: well yes but i played all kind of sports growing up i play i ran track cross country soccer um volleyball in fact i played volleyball the the longest after basketball i played volleyball all through high school i played club volleyball i got like recruitment letters for university for volleyball as well. So I could have gone either way. This could have been a different story.
1: Are, are you the type of person who could have gone to the Olympics in like two, three different sports? You, you have the an athlete body. You're tall, you're slim, you're athletic. It's you can do any sports. Well, that's a, that's that a that bold, easy, bold claim. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's a bold claim. Who knows, in but theory, I, yeah. I
0: do know that I loved volleyball. Okay. It's, it's still probably to this day, my favorite sport. Uh, oh, yeah. Just because of the, the pure joy that comes when I, when I was playing it at the time. Um, but I do basketball. I love it for a different reason. And in fact, my passion for the sport has grown over time as well, as I've learned more sides of it and, and have become more skilled. And, and at that time I I went with basketball just because there were more opportunities Mm -hmm. specifically for women, but I think on both sides to continue and make it really a career.
1: Did you have like inspirations, like players in in the sport in basketball or other sports uh just for for the mindset of it
0: yeah i mean uh, beyond my own family and and my own teammates i always say my teammates are always my biggest inspirations because i've played with some of the best in the world and um my favorite player growing up was dr j so julius yeah. Irving. Yeah. Uh, just because he was kind of like lanky and he had this cool style of playing that was so smooth and fluid so I really enjoyed that Um, I didn't follow the WNBA a lot but I did have a I think it was like a life-size poster of Lisa Leslie (laughs) in my my childhood room so that was like Lisa Leslie Cheryl Swoops, all of that was just kind of coming and becoming popular when I Mm -hmm. was, was growing up and then kind of just got involved with the national team at a at a pretty young age and so was swept into this environment of like really great ballers on a regular basis
1: and and when did it uh when did basketball or volleyball become like more serious when you know that you had more than just the the talent that you could actually make something out of it
0: probably going into high school uh age 13 there was like a development or recruitment kind of tryout slash camp. Mm -hmm. I don't even remember what it is, but my parents signed me up because I was showing interest in this space. And at the time I think it was called MDP. So midget development program with team Canada. And so they scout out different athletes and I made the team. And so that's how my journey with Canada basketball started at the age of 13, going into high school. So I played, for the MDP team, which is the development team for Canada um, during the summer. So you go from MDP to JDP to, I don't know what the next one is now, it's just like development. And then you mm-hmm. kind of go through the system and, and um, yeah, I really enjoy that process. And that's how I developed my skills.
1: Had you uh, dropped volleyball at that time already or were you still...
0: I was still straddling both sports yeah. at that time. I played volleyball until the end of my um, second year in high school. So grade 10 and then going into grade 11 and 12, I just played basketball.
1: Okay. And who were, who were or were sorry, the, the people in, in your growth that had the most impact Apart probably from, from your parents, but whether they be you know, coach, staff, uh, teammates, who do you remember being the people that actually brought you up?
0: I had a, a lot of great coaches along the way um both in in high school and then my club basketball we kind of <laughs> it's funny the club that I ended up playing for um here in Ontario we just kind of made it it wasn't already existing there was one coach and then a few great players of my year and we kind of just assembled and then entered tournaments together and played and and developed our skills in in that area I think that was a that was a big growing period for me cuz In high school, especially, I was pretty raw athlete. Mm -hmm. Like, I could play, but I was just athletic, and and people saw some potential in me. Um, And then when I got to university, that's when I think I really started to develop my skills. Like, actual great basketball skills and really thinking behind and developing my basketball IQ. Um, So, my coach, Julie Rousseau at Pepperdine University... um, I credit her for a lot of that progress. And then obviously with the national team, uh, once I made the uh, senior women's national team with Allison McNeil at the time, uh, she was a great influence and she was just developing a, what we call the Princeton offense, which is what our national team used for okay. many, many years. And this is obviously getting on the tech, more technical side of, of basketball right, and sport. G- g-
1: give us a 30 second training on what, what it means. What oh, is?
0: goodness. So
1: she explained to a kid or a grandmother and
0: now I'm going to forget the name of the guy who developed it, but it was used at Princeton, which is where it gets its name from. But we kind of took that the principles behind it. And it was really because our national team at that time, um, we we had the dedication, we had the grit and we had good players, but we didn't have a lot of athleticism. And when you're playing against uh, international teams who know how to score and who are are being able to score. Create their shot. Um, they're they're winning games. We were mm-hmm. great defensively, but we couldn't get open shots. And you also need that to yeah. put some points on the scoreboard. So Princeton was a way to use our strengths uh, in our in in service of our goals. So Princeton essentially allows you to make some great cuts and screens and movement, like off ball movement, that sets you up to put you either at the basket for a layup or opens up a three point shot, both of which we were great at like cutting and we had really smart players. So that allowed us to move a little bit more freely. So that combined with our defense, honestly built our program to where it is today.
1: Okay. And and when was that, I would say pivotal moment you said when it was not just the the, the body you had and how talented you were, but when work kind of became more important than you know, what you had default when you were born? W- when was that the time when it, it switched?
0: For me personally? Yeah. I, I think I- in university sometime when I was realizing I was learning a lot more about basketball and what I could do with it mm-hmm. and then also making some big life decisions around do I want to even stick with this sport? Uh, do I want to explore what this looks like for a career? Because You're making a lot of those decisions in real time like i've been really lucky throughout my career that i've been able to have the the career that i i have because part of it part of professional sports i think people forget is like there's a lot of great athletes out there that just don't make it for whatever reason maybe they get injured at a certain amount of time or they don't align with like the particular coach or so there's a lot of luck involved but there's a lot of hard work as well um And I think things just lined up in in my life where I was building, I was enjoying the sport and I had completed a degree in public relations and psychology that, which was interesting at the time, but I wasn't really into, I didn't Mm -hmm. want to pursue at that point. And so I was like, oh, go pro for, I'll try it for a year and then see where it leads me and I'll get some. Some cool opportunities, at least live overseas and get some life experience. And then uh, and then I stayed overseas for 11 years.
1: <laughs> nice. Yeah, you say also not lots of great athletes don't even turn pro. So for you, it was a decision to turn pro, but you also had what it took to do that, right? Because probably a lot of people just say, oh, I want to turn pro, but <laughs> they just don't have what it takes. Um, and it very much, like I said before, we started recording, looks like a business, right? It's a huge bet that you make from the moment you say i'm going to pursue that which is whatever 13 14 years old up until the moment you turn pro which might be 18 19 20 in between it's a lot of hard work it's pushing stuff on the side that you know maybe studies you don't study as much as you would maybe you don't spend as much time with your family and friends as you would like to because you focus on that target and someday it's the the famous you know um 10 year overnight success where suddenly people start hearing from you It's like oh you just landed there no no there's Ten years of you know very hard work before. Um, so for you, when you uh, turned pro, was this was it some sort of a, a consecration? I don't have the English for that, but like the the, the pinnacle of what you could uh, you could expect, or was it just like the first step? You like I can do it now. It's time to just get even higher.
0: That's a great question. Um, I don't think it was the the pinnacle at that exact moment. And you're right. There's a lot of trade-offs that go into that yeah. that road for sure. Um, essentially every day I was in the the gym and every weekend and every every summer and every vacation, for sure. I won't say that I, <laughs> for my parents' sake and my sake, I won't say that I traded off my studies because <laughs> academics was always first in our, even our to, household. Even today, is, <laughs> you, even you today, cannot say that. Okay, okay. Because <laughs> actually, first and foremost, I'm a nerd probably before I'm an athlete. Okay. Um, and so the reason why I was pursuing a... Um, a scholarship in the states because I wanted to go to school for free and not have debt, which yeah. was an excellent uh, setup for life in general. And um, you
1: need to keep a minimum GPA, right, in order to be in a team in a university and all that. Absolutely, right? yeah.
0: absolutely, you do. But my my mindset was not min- minimum; it was maximum. Yeah. yeah. Um, and uh, so that what has always been really important uh, to me to to maintain a certain level of excellence in everything that I'm doing. But you're you're right; there are certainly trade offs, but. Everything leading up to that point, it, it, I, I've never been a ball is life type of person. And so that's why I bring up all these different aspects, whether it's academic, whether it's it's contributing to my community. Um, so there was a lot of different things going on that might have been competing for my interest, but opportunities kept showing themselves to me in the world of basketball. So that's why I wanted to take that next Mm -hmm. step and pursue and explore what playing professionally might look like, whether it was a year that turned into more, but it could have gone another way. But um, so that's why I say it wasn't like this, like aha moment when I turned pro, it's just like, oh, okay, life is giving me this. I want to explore this a little bit and
1: see where it takes us. And where did you go uh, with your, your first contract?
0: I went to Turkey. Turkey, so I was in Alanya, which is a really small city in the south of Turkey, right on the Mediterranean Sea, which is really, really beautiful. Not a great team,
1: but I had a lot of fun. Uh, and how would you summarize? You said eleven years abroad. Um, let's do it in two minutes. Combine that. What were you know the highest point, the lowest point? What did you like there? You can extend. Not just two minutes if you have more not say. a time
0: time limit there <laughs> count me down um i loved my time in turkey those i was there for three years and got to experience a few different areas so alanya the first year istanbul the second year and then ordu which is in the northern um point on the black sea so really beautiful parts of the country love the culture love the people everything um the basketball league in turkey is quite good as well and um when you talk about the high points and the low low points, one of my low points was in Istanbul, Turkey. Um, not the city itself, just the experience. A lot of pro players, you can't go through a career without without having low seasons or low points. Yeah. So I, at the beginning of that season, in practice, I took a really hard hit. And it completely wrecked my back okay. at that point i wasn't really quite sure what was going on we didn't have a athletic therapist it was kind of just loosey-goosey we had him we had a masseuse but that's not really going to do <laughs> a lot what first. level
1: was it in in turkey first Division? it was first division Okay, steal
0: yeah <laughs> yeah i know that it's some there's some loose rules in in the, the, the turkish um, basketball system there um utmost respect but um for my experience with that team that's what we had at that that point and um and so essentially i didn't know it at the time but i had herniated two discs in my back and so i was in excruciating pain yeah. <laughs> not being able to sit or stand or, or sleep without pain and this went on for months um, but I was still trying to play professional basketball yeah. which is a poor combination and and like my coaches didn't know what was going on either they just saw my my play decline obviously <laughs> I have yeah. a herniated disc in my back um, and so they replaced me with another player and it was But i was still on the team and so essentially i went to practice and i went to the games but like the day before each time they'd be like we've decided to go with this other player to play this game
1: so you were at the the end of the bench exactly not even on the bench sitting uh, in the stands dressing
0: in regular clothes because (laughs) for foreign players you can only have a certain number on the on the floor and on the bench at the the same time so that messed with my confidence wildly partially because I didn't quite know what was going on. I didn't know how, how poorly, how badly I was injured and why that might be the case for my decline. So mm-hmm. I was questioning like, am I even good enough to play professionally? Like, what am I doing here? Like all all of the typical questions that athletes go through in, in various points of our, our lives when things aren't going well, um, but I, I had to battle through that a lot. And so that was definitely the lowest point in my career. And, but on the flip side, was the reason why I became so interested in the mental performance side of sports and, and why we show up the way we do and how we get in our own way so much of the time, um, which is so interesting and, and goes into so much of what makes a good player. Being able to be aware of what's going on in our our head and being able to kind of battle through that and 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 achieve success in various levels.
1: So let's stay even before talking about France and the rest. Let's stay on this topic because I know now you, you're a um, wellness coach, so a lot about the link between physical, mental performance, and everything. Um, you said that's what sparked your interest in that. Did you start? Did you apply that? quickly on yourself? Did you, Were you aware at that point that that's how you could go through that tough period by working on your mindset more than just on, on your physical?
0: Oh, I wish I was that aware at that point. Yeah. I certainly was not. When you're in the midst of, um, I mean, it was certainly physical trauma, but in the midst of something that's weighing heavy on your mind, I don't think we often have the clarity of mind, especially when we're learning a lesson for the first time to realize what exactly is going on. My mindset there was just like, I'm a horrible player. This, I hate what's going on. Um, So I'm just kind of going to disassociate. Um, But looking back on it, I think going back with the national team in that summer after that that year, I was doing a little bit better physically, saw some actual (laughs) athletic trainers and therapists who were able to help me out a little bit. And, um, and just being with people who started to introduce me to some concepts of like, okay, how can we approach this in a better way? That's a little bit more helpful. I think Canada basketball was well ahead of its time with bringing in a mental performance consultant um, throughout probably the last decade of my career. So I got to talk with some of the best in canada around these subjects and start like one by one applying mm-hmm. them be like okay let me try it in this instance and, and see if this helps a little bit and um so that's how i started to integrate it but it took like many years yeah to to get to a place where i felt better or more settled
1: do you think that's that's an approach that can be proactive or does it have to be reactive because what i and again it's a comparison to business but no matter how much you emphasize something that oh you shouldn't do this, or I went through that and I know you know this will happen. So avoid that mistake. You never learn as much as when you do the mistake yourself or when you go through a tough situation yourself and then you apply principles. Yeah. So is, is that part of also of what you do these days of trying to be proactive with people, but at the same time knowing that it you need to go through it in order to understand how much it can work.
0: Absolutely, absolutely. It's both. Uh, it's both I frame it as uh, preparation and process you need to be able to to do both for sure you have to (laughs) learn the hard lessons yourself sometimes those are the most effective ways uh, to to learn and retain lessons but there are ways that we can prepare ourselves for difficult moments um, that will make those moments easier. So when we talk about pre- preparation, we can talk about a whole slew of things, whether it's just like physically taking care mm-hmm. of yourself, sleeping, exercising, or just moving your, your body in a way that, that feels good. Those kind of things people overlook as as mental performance techniques but if you're not sleeping as athletes we know this if you're not sleeping you're not going to perform well the next day your brain is a part of your body so fuel requires those basic things nutrition all of those things if you're not taking those into account you're doing yourself a big disservice not Mm -hmm. as an athlete but as a business person as a human being like that should be the first thing that we go to kind of like see can i make some tweaks in these areas just like small small improvements that will increase our, our likelihood of success or at least um, weathering the storm a little bit better. And then just building out different habits and routines that, that feel good and, and, and help us to, to build a bit of our mental resilience ahead of time so that when we do face something, um, whether it's a crisis at work or at home or elsewhere... We're at least a little bit more prepared and have yeah. some tools available for us that we can pull out. Sometimes they work, sometimes they don't, but at least we have them available to them and we're not trying to start scratch from scratch in the middle of a crisis. Yeah. It's like I I always kind of um compare it to the way we approach um shots or practicing uh our shots in in the world of basketball i'm not going to pull out a move out of nowhere in the middle of a game that i've never practiced before i mean sometimes you do when you're just in the flow and it might be super lucky and you'll hit it but you're probably not going to be able to replicate it it's not sustainable but if i want it to be sustainable and i want it to be effective i'm going to practice it a hundred a thousand times in a like cool (laughs) environment of the gym to get it down and then i can pull it out in game time
1: if you had the today the opportunity to go back, let's say at that specific moment in Turkey with your um, wise approach uh, from today, what what would you do differently, and how would you go through that?
0: Well, the the first thing, the interesting thing about that um, circumstance is that there is like a physical component to it that would have been easily solved by just knowing what the heck was going yeah. on. Yeah. So I think the first step is always just building awareness, learning a little bit more about your reactions. So on that side, it's it's the physical side, but just understanding what's going on in my body. And then I can make a course of action. So awareness is always the, the first step, whether it's something that's going on in our mind. Like, what am I actually thinking? What am I actually saying to myself that's kind of blocking me from being successful in this point? Or like in that case, um, in Turkey, Okay, what is going on physically? Why am I not able to do the things? Okay, now I have my answer. Now I can make a a feasible plan.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, because you you talk about a lot talk a lot. Sorry about the mental and how it it can help you do pretty much anything. So, you were hurt and you were still playing. So at the same, time it means your mental was here even though your physical wasn't, and vice versa. You could have been in the best shape of your life and underperform. So it's always a combination of both, right? absolutely it's a, that's just an observation and i'm wondering <laughs> it's a weird question but do you think you can perform best by being mentally the best and physically so-so or do you can you perform best by being mentally so-so and physically at the top in in other words what is the most important if there is one that is
0: Leo, that's a, t- a tough, <laughs> a tough question, <laughs> because, you know, I think about this question a lot because we we've seen this. I've seen it in my own career. We've seen it with Michael Jordan, with the flu game, for example. Like there's been so many times where people, athletes are not at their physical best, but are able to mentally just supersede yeah. the elements, uh, what's going on and are able to to perform. I wouldn't say that's sustainable. Again, that's that one-off hit. Mm-hmm. Um, but there is this element of the interplay between mind and, and body. And so you can be a physically a good athlete and that might affect your mental side if, if you're not taking that into account and, and vice versa. I would say just the, ult- the optimal place that you want to be is if you're lucky enough to be physically very athletic tune up some of these mental sides and you're going to add that 1% that all of us athletes or, or people who are interested in, in bettering ourselves every day, every day are looking for those little tweaks and improvements that make you that much of a better either person, human, athlete, business person. Mm-hmm. Why wouldn't you explore a component that helps you in that yeah. goal? That's
1: true. Um, so that, assuming it's 50-50, as imp- equality as important, In that case, should any athlete train as much 50% of the time on the mental side and 50% on the physical side? And again, parallel with business, when I drove back from uh, Montreal to Toronto and Toronto to here, I'm listening to podcasts. For me, it's the mental training. It's like successful entrepreneurs, people shooting ideas, like business ideas and how to improve growth hacks and stuff. For me, it's the mental training. I'm not doing anything on the business. I'm not training to be better at renting cars for the wedding, but I'm, I'm getting motivated, I, I see other stuff, I hear people and then I'm like, oh, I can do this, I can do that and then I'm back and actually doing, I'm better at what I do because I got that inspiration and I think I train my mental. So I make a, a thing of training my mental, being highly motivated even if the actual operations don't work as well. Is this something that can be applied to sports or at the end you still need to actually physically practice 90% of the day and uh, the rest, you, you do mental stuff?
0: It's it's tough to break it down to percentages. I'm get well, I'm understanding I'm, I'm your example. Uh, <laughs> Absolutely. I'm understanding the example. It's tough and, and especially because every individual is unique mm-hmm. and might require different things. Balance is never 50-50. It's always based on what's going on in that day and and when you're preparing for different things. It would be very simple if life was just the same every day and we're dealing with the same amount of energy and the same amount yeah. of tasks and everything that's going on but different days require different things and one day you might need a little bit more motivation on one on one point so you might want to work in this area where you're just mentally exercising and you need a little bit of a break physically so i mean the, it's a bit of a non answer but it's understanding, again, coming back to that awareness piece of like, what do I need to work on? Is it more the mental side? For athletes, you're always going to have a physical component because you need to put that into play and into into practice. Um, but both, it's a both and. But I think something else that's interesting to explore here, and this is something I came up, that I bumped up against when I was exploring like, okay, met, what is this mental performance base? And how can it help us and reading all of the self-help books and, and, you know, like, I mean, self-help sounds derogatory now because people overuse it, but Mm -hmm. it's a, it's a really interesting space, but I think all of it goes, it falls by the wayside. If you're not actually, if you don't have a strong foundation, as far as why are you doing what you're doing in the first place? If you're trying to be super successful in a field that you're not supposed to be in, or isn't actually like, good or aligned with your values i think it's gonna f- it's gonna ultimately be unsuccessful or mm-hmm. or lead you to not a great place so i think one of the starting places is just understanding why am i doing what i'm doing is it aligned with who i want to be and the impact that i want to make in the world and then making a work back plan from there uh, that needs to be the starting point
1: and for you specifically how did it apply because you are um you're famous when you play basketball no, no, in, in a sense that what was for you what was it like giving back to the community inspiring others that was kind of your your north star that you were pursuing what was your you know traction what, what made you uh you know wake up every day and, and still be motivated
0: absolutely i think uh, one thing for me the reason why i played basketball as long as i did was because i was playing for team canada
1: oh, yeah
0: I wouldn't have lasted as long as I did if I was just purely playing pro and trading time for money, um, because for me it's empty. And like I said, um, that ball was never life for me, so mm-hmm. it's it's less motivating. But to play for something that was bigger than myself, to give of something, give to something that was bigger than myself, um, that was motivating for me. And I was I showed up for my teammates. I show up for myself as well in the sense that I have this overwhelming desire to always be my best and to push myself into better myself, just an innate characteristic. Um, and that kind of aligns with uh, a core value of mine of, of trying to continually be better. Um, so, that combined with something greater than myself. Um, has always moti- motivated me to to show up and, and also influence some of the decisions I made professionally. Like, um, we were just chatting before we we talked, we hopped on this podcast around my career. My the last six years of my career, I was I spent with Basketland uh, in France, which is not normal for a North American mm-hmm. basketball player to stay in one club for so long. But that club was aligned with my values. They, took care of their players they played for each other they were invested in the community There was this beautiful sense of togetherness um, and that's why i i stayed there yeah i could have changed teams and made more money somewhere else but it's it's a trade-off for what made me want to come to work every day
1: right. so you did you always prioritize team canada over the, the pro team uh, over your career? And did you have like overlaps when uh, when you had to choose one versus the other? And was the team also aligned with that and okay with that? I know it happens in other sports when, when you have a few international games, then the pro team loses a few players and it's fine uh, because it's probably part of their contract. Uh, but yeah, was that the case for you?
0: Thankfully, I didn't have a lot of moments uh, like that where I had to make a des- decision between the two and all of my pro teams knew that Team Canada came came yep. first because I, I with those european teams they also felt similarly now it's a little bit different both uh for team canada and for our WNBA players this there's, there's a few more conflicts as far as scheduling goes i know a lot of my canadian teammates have been fined um from their WNBA teams just because canada and and the WNBA season uh goes at the same time and so if they want to come into training camp they actually have to pay pay out essentially because they're also
1: they they don't have a salary they take like a leave uh, leave of absence or whatever of their team to play for for yeah the i country. i
0: know it's an ongoing <laughs> issue some teams are a little bit more reasonable than others um and i think that's ongoing so maybe by the time people listen to this this will be different but i know that has happened in the past and yeah sometimes professionally it's difficult to leave with a qualification process now it's in the middle of pro season before it was yeah. mostly in the summer um thankfully i haven't had to have a lot of those discussions but yeah team team canada always came first i was playing pro so that i could develop and play for my country in the olympics
1: nice so what are the highlights of that uh team canada career because you went to three olympics right correct last one 2020 slash 2021 uh where you were the flag bearer that i read yes that's amazing so yeah, yeah how uh, how was it the overall career what what is it that you uh, you take out of it and especially that uh, 2021 uh flag bearing opportunity
0: yeah there's there's been so many high moments for sure Um, I mean the the cliche answer is most of them are have just been in the locker room or times that I'm spending with my my teammates on and off the the court Uh, that's the fun side of sports is you're not best friends with everybody you're on the team with but it's a super unique relationship because Mm -hmm. you sacrifice your body for someone else and so there's these bonds that you make for life that are really really special um, high moments as far as games and and celebrations obviously the our first qualification for the olympics in uh 2012 uh that was in ankara turkey so qualifying for the london 2012 mm-hmm. olympics and that was after our canadian women's national team hadn't qualified for i don't know 18 20 years before that so that was huge because we had fought so hard to get there and at the time now we're ranked number fifth in the world at the time we were ranked i don't know 26 or something okay. not
1: expected to qualify yeah, so yeah. that
0: was huge um
1: so you were part of the team that grew from 26 to five or top five in the world right
0: yeah it's a, it's a super fun period when i look back on my career to be involved with team canada at this point because i was there in the the obscure moments nobody was paying attention to our team nobody thought that we could do anything and we fought there was such buy-in there was such uh, a beautiful um kind of camaraderie around our team everybody was super gritty and we had to fight for everything that we got and and now our team is expected to go to the olympics on a regular basis basis we're expected to perform and and finally we're at a point where our, our team's games are being showed on Sportsnet <laughs> where that's not how I played the majority yeah, of my yeah. career. My parents were searching for links <laughs> in the deep, dark, dark web of like trying to find uh, um, even like Olympic qualifying yeah. uh, games. So it's been such a progression. And I love that the next generation of athletes have an opportunity to not even have to worry about those type of things
1: and that's funny because also the men's team also got better recently so it's fun to see both teams just getting in the for the forefront and uh actually being broadcasted and yeah that was amazing seeing you (laughs) on on tv the the past few days is that uh a new activity of yours or was was it just an opportunity to uh, be part of the, the qualifying uh tournament uh commenting on the on the women's team
0: yeah, just a just a opportunity that that came up. That was cool and I I, I said yes to because again, this is something that I'm yeah, I'm passionate actually. about and on the on the women's side, supporting our our team and just fun to to watch them play and and commentate and and support in any way I can.
1: What's your what's your bet for uh, for the the women's team for 2024 for August?
0: Oh, goodness, I couldn't even tell you. Like, if if anybody who's listening was watching the (laughs) the Olympic qualifying tournaments, you never know what the heck is going to happen. That's what makes international basketball so fun. Like, you think back to the last Olympics, uh, Japan medaled and got silver. They went all the way to the finals and played against uh, the States. So, like, nobody can predict those kind of things. I mean, I've watched Japan develop over the last, like, many years, and they're an incredible team. So, it's not too much of a surprise but all that to say who knows i've i've had predictions going into the last three olympics that i was <laughs> involved yeah. with and all of them have been proven wrong so i don't know i just know that i'm going to be following with bated breath breath and really excited
1: for these women do you think they have the um, from what you've seen not just seen on tv and the, the <laughs> last minute qualification but in general what you see in the local room and the the, the, the roster they have do you see them like are they aligned to you know, be at par with the number five number four uh r- world ranking that they have
0: yeah i th- I think when they are working together and and giving everything that they they have on the on the court, it's some pretty beautiful basketball and and again, you gotta know and remember that it's a bit of a transition period for them. They have a newer coach uh victor le who's a, a spanish coach and there it's like a a bit of a a nice mixture, actually, of vets and young players who are, are bringing different qualities. And I think that they're building towards um, an interesting cohesion of all of that. So um, it'll be really interesting to see a who they, they draw for their pool. Yeah because uh that's a big big component for how well you do in the olympics of like who who are you facing with not sorry not just your pool but who are you crossing over with out of your pool in order to advance to the quarterfinals and and semi so
1: let's see um i I saw an instagram post yesterday from someone i can't remember the name who said uh miranda miranda you're coming to paris will you go there will you be with uh, the tv broadcasting or something to uh Cheer and comment. No.
0: I I don't have any uh, official role at the moment. I'll, I'm not sure that I'll I'll be there um, on the ground in Paris. I know it's going to be crazy. I'm sure all the Parisians are fleeing the city, <laughs> trying to sublet their their places uh, to get some Airbnb cash for sure. Because it's going to be wild. I'm sure the environment is going to be really really electric. And uh, I know um, a lot of my French friends have been involved in and in working towards uh, building the olympics there but i all that to say i likely won't be there on the ground <laughs> but i'll be cheering them on
1: well the, the the odds are in your favor you were part of the team you commented a bit. You lived in France. I mean <laughs> what else is there, right? Are you speaking it into existence here? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I'm just I'm just trying to, to push to, to push for you. Um uh, back to to your uh, experience in, in France, so because we were on the Turkey um experience, then you moved uh to France. Did you land in the uh, land in Basketland, L O L directly <laughs> or no?
0: No, I was in Toulouse for two okay. years. Yeah. Which I loved. I love the city of Toulouse. It's so beautiful. Everybody, everybody loves Toulouse, the pink city. Um, And enjoyed my time there and then got an opportunity, um, made friends just from playing against uh, the people in Basketland and... I guess they liked what they saw. And
1: What city is the basket
0: located? Mont-de-Marsan. Mont-de-Marsan. Really, really small city, an hour 15 from Bordeaux.
1: Less fun than Toulouse a bit.
0: It's a different, it's definitely a different vibe. What I enjoyed in Toulouse was like the lovely um, restaurants and cafes and they're so cute and, and fun to explore. That's what I really like when I'm traveling. Um Montmartre has some lovely places as well, but there's a lot less, obviously, because it's just a small, it's a small city. It's about forty to fifty thousand. But our gym was packed every every uh, night, and what is the size of our gym? Probably like twenty five hundred to three thousand people there every every game, sold out every every time.
1: Yeah, it's a sports city. There's also a good rugby team, right? Yes, there is. Stade Montois. The two big uh, sports activities for a small a small town—it's always uh, yeah, a lot of uh, sport fever uh, around that. Um, so now today you are—I don't want to keep you too long. Um, okay. Today you're a wellness coach. Um, what does that entail? Is it that you? Uh, yeah. What is keeping you busy these days when it's not uh, commenting on, on Team Canada?
0: Yeah, so I've shifted more into performance coaching, um, which is speaking about the same sort of things that we've talked about, or at least touched on a little bit today. And I don't actually, none of my clients are um, athletes. I do do some mentoring, but none of my my actual business clients are are athletes. They're just people who are in the professional space or the corporate space who are, are trying to level up and go after their goals and looking for a way to do that sustainably. So this is where we bring in some of the mental performance techniques, but also just like habit building, goal goal setting, but more like doing all of that in a way that, again, aligns with our values, help, helping us show up in the way that where it matters most. Um, so I I have private clients that I work with from all different industries, which is really fun because it's essentially ambitious people are ambitious people and we see that in the sports world we see that in the the business world people are just trying to to get after the goals and and do some things and it's the same prototype of of a person trying to to better themselves so that's kind of fun um it feels like i'm just taking the the strategies and systems that i've learned on the court and apply them in a different space and then in between all of that is um public speaking so i do a a lot of keynotes in in similar spaces and i guess some some broadcasting Mm -hmm. now and uh yeah a lot of cool opportunities that have presented themselves in this this era of retirement
1: nice do do you uh, focus more on individuals like people or do you work with the corporate and and teams and stuff like that
0: yeah i have done um some team coaching in the the past and also have some um team workshops as well so on the corporate side which is which is kind of fun
1: nice um what would you say with all those people that you've worked with um what are common traits that you see from the people that succeed and what are common traits that you see from the people that not necessarily don't succeed but take longer or have a harder time uh reaching success what is success to them so what are those traits that you've seen um commonly in those highly successful people and those less successful people
0: i think you made a really great caveat there around um successful people depending on what success means to them which i think is a really really important thing to to denote of what are you what are you working towards because sometimes people are working towards something they don't actually care about so they're probably never going to be successful Mm -hmm. in that or at least not successful in a way that that feels good right Mm -hmm. because a lot of um, people that i work with are bumping up against burnout in whatever way whether it's mentally or or physically because something is not aligned and so we try to explore okay what's what's going on and how might we approach this in a in a better way because mm-hmm. obviously if you're dealing with burnout whether it's just simple fatigue or just like stressed or, or something's not not working or you need to have some conversations with your your boss or your team mm-hmm. or is it the culture i don't know um we need to know what that is before we we take some of those next steps and obviously if you're dealing with some of those issues you're not going to be able to perform to the level that you want at least not consistent so, exploring all those issues um, can get a little nitty gritty, and and requires a certain length of time. But I think um, I know sustainable change only comes when you when you commit to that change over a long amount of
1: time. Okay, so with that wisdom that you have now, if you were to talk to yourself, uh, let's say ten year old Miranda, or 15 16 when basketball starting uh, started being serious mm-hmm. what would you uh, tell yourself what were the f- what would be the few advice uh, that you uh, would give yourself
0: well there's a few answers that I typically give when I'm asked this question for for younger athletes but one uh, that I um, that I wish I knew a little bit earlier or invested a little bit more time in exploring was what we were just talking about as far as like, what does success mean to you? Like Mm -hmm. what would make you feel good at the end of the day? Like not just feel good, but feel content, feel satisfied with how you showed up like character, character wise. Uh, These are weighty subjects, but I say that because sometimes I I navigated some of my career of like, okay, this is where maybe I'm supposed to uh, be, or this is the player I'm supposed to do. And they always put me in poor situations where I was like either underperforming because I was trying so hard to do what I thought someone maybe wanted me to be. And then it wasn't really quite the type of athlete that I was uh, uh, meant to be or uh, didn't involve the skills that I I had. Um, And all of the, the decisions that led to great outcomes like deciding to stay in, in basket lawned, meant saying no to what looked good on the outside. Mm-hmm. So some of that familiarity with, okay, what does six, what can you live with at the end of the day is,
1: <laughs> is the question. Yeah. And being able to say no, probably because the more you do, the more opportunities you have. Yeah. And it, th- there are those, those principles where, you know, be the yes man or the yes woman and whatever, yeah. but it's, true for only so many days after yeah. that you just have to say no to a few stuff and focus on, on the stuff that you think or you know will make you happy or feel uh, fulfilled right yeah um, and also success is a constantly evolving idea right because mm-hmm. if I look at my business at the beginning it was like when I have a hundred cars I'll be a like, i'll be all right i'll yeah. be able to leave the business if need be and I'm like no when i'm here now i want something else and i want a bigger team and i want to be in many cities and i want this so is you know is there a especially when you're high performing and like an elite athletes is there like a limit and is this what will end up bringing you to burnout even if you love what you do there's only so much you can take at some point
0: yeah absolutely yeah it's it's underst it's being able to reassess that as well as it goes along like you're saying it's a a bit of shifting goal goal sets and also to be um to be okay with being in the moment as well of being content with where i'm at uh coming back to what i was kind of touching on around being okay how did i phrase it like being okay with what are you okay with was that how i said it
1: being okay with
0: with um i forget how i i phrased it but yeah completely losing your your train of thought in the middle of a, a podcast is always the great way That's fine. <laughs> great way to go
1: no it's it's because we're actually thinking yeah. <laughs> not just saying pre-recorded stuff 100 percent. actually brainstorming yes <laughs> absolutely. especially my english is leaving me sometimes like, oh, i have this idea how can i express it no um anyway <laughs> moving on if you had if i i'm right now i'm telling you i'm writing a book about your your life and career but you can only choose the title what will the title be
0: oh man <laughs> and this is even deeper because i've always wanted to uh, to write a book <laughs> it's maybe a bucket it's so a first reflection yeah what would be the name of the book based on my life or based on where my life is going?
1: I don't know. That's where you bring it.
0: I don't know. Maybe coming back to, uh, don't hold me to this, but thinking in real time, going back to what I had mentioned about my tendency to always want to get better. It would be interesting to explore that idea and the push and pull between like bettering yourself and being content with with where you are so maybe something like betterment a lifelong journey between the fluctuation of of balance i don't know thesis that's a whole thesis yeah that's yeah that's a that's a weighty academic uh uh argument which i mean it tracks with how my mind works sometimes yeah
1: nice Actually, mine will be "do it," and I'm I'm thinking of uh, tattooing uh, "do it" on my just on my foot, so that when I wake up in the morning, I see my foot and I redo it, just nice. execute and get stuff done. I love it. <laughs> That's what I'm. Th- i actually might yeah. actually do the tattoo in a few weeks. And that <laughs>
0: reflects on your mindset and your approach to life. I love it.
1: Exactly. Um, did you find your train of thoughts or not? Oh yeah, no, it's it, lost. It's, it's gone into the ether. <laughs> 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 If you had one person, uh, one athlete that sh- either you know personally or not that you think would be interesting to hear uh, on the podcast to uh, go through his or her story, um, who would that person be?
0: I was thinking about this on the way here and honestly, all names have fled my mind. But the one that came up recently, maybe because I was chatting to him uh, recently, was uh, Sam Effa, who is a uh, a track runner. Now he works with RBC. Uh, I met him through our work with RBC, um, but he's an interesting story and is just a quality human being. So it might be interesting to to chat with.
1: Nice, well noted. What is the RBC doing in the sports world? Because they have that, they help like very young athletes get to pro level. Uh, mm-hmm. You're probably involved with them on a different topic. Are they very much very active in the Canadian sport um, landscape?
0: Yeah, so they try to. Um, They support the Olympic uh, dream, I suppose, by funding young athletes. So searching for and funding specific young Mm -hmm. athletes. So it's the... Um, RBC training ground is yeah. what you're referring to. They go into different communities regionally and have a bit of like a combine
1: testing. Yeah, they test everything and see oh, you should do that sport and you should do that sport because exactly. based on the data, that's where you, you're good.
0: Which is super interesting yeah. because a lot of athletes fall between the, cra- the cracks yeah. because they don't get an opportunity. Like me, for example, I was funneled through the system, but like by... I was going to say luck again, but obviously hard work, yeah. uh, had the skills, et cetera, et cetera. But also sometimes people don't get those opportunities. So yeah. this is another opportunity for athletes. They don't need any prior experience. They just sign up and come. It's free. Uh, so that's really cool. And they've had some medalists and Olympians come yeah. to that program. And uh, and then they also do it on the other side of um, funding and supporting actual uh current olympians so that's how i got involved with their rbc olympians program and so we um uh, support their community engagement by going up and and speaking to either the partners or or community partners or within the rbc organization um and then they um yeah they've been a partner of the olympic canadian olympic team i think since 1947 if i'm remembering correctly so longest standing olympic partner
1: okay do you think that's a very different Uh, topic do you think we're losing we're by we i mean canada is losing athletes because of the lack of financial support sometimes and well basketball it's a pro sport and you have a contract and you're paid over the years um most other especially in track for example they are quote-unquote pros but they don't necessarily have any funding they make a bit bit of money here and there Mm -hmm. but other than that they just just rely on can fund on rbc programs and stuff Do, do you think that canada where is canada standing in like the world of sports and in general in funding and supporting their athletes
0: yeah there's an absolute athlete drain um to other countries and other parts of the world for sure i'm less familiar with um other sports i'll stay in the in the world of of basketball i mean i've talked with some of friends on the track mm-hmm. side and and uh and in other ways um but for example uh women's basketball we don't have a professional league so i don't even have an op option to play here in canada, in canada. I mean, yeah. yeah so all our best athletes go to the states for university and you're to get or... a free education yeah. uh, get it paid for and then we go to europe um and and it was only recently that um we have a male uh, a men's yep. professional league now we have two um but that was only within the last 10 years or so
1: yeah not even the yeah. canadian basketball league elite basketball league started
0: yeah, there was a CBL, but even before that was the NBL yep. Canada, um, which is now, I think, the Super League and they've merged with um, the states. But mm-hmm. even still, yeah. So which has an impact on the development of our, our athletes and our our. our teams and how we perform ultimately at the olympics and that also has an economic impact in many different ways this could be a whole nother conversation but uh to to answer your question uh shortly and yeah we absolutely have an athlete drain in canada
1: crazy crazy Mm -hmm. (laughs) when it when i see how how much athletes represent to a country just just the olympics or any kind of sports it's like it's, mar- it's free marketing for tourism and for so many stuff. You will know, just fund these people. And instead of paying for marketing on and so-and-so, you'll you'll bring people to the countries just by having those athletes that can perform at the top level. Yeah. But, you know, but it's more my business mindset. That, oh, for sure. That, but it's, that, like, that behind that.
0: it's like second, third order consequence thinking yeah. of like, un- thinking through of like, oh, if I do this, then this. And then this can actually have some some benefit, but sometimes easier.
1: One day I'll be able to uh, help. <laughs> mm-hmm. Athletes perform right. um yeah, so the last one that I always ask is I'm building a museum of sports it's for now it's just gathering at my cottage, but i we have a new office at dodeck I'll have a big office not as big as this one where we're now, and I'm gonna actually do a whole wall, maybe a wall of fame we'll call it whatever it nice. might be uh and I try to collect like a gear or like an apparel form um the different athletes that I interview would you have anything in mind that you would throw away someday and um, that you might uh, hand over with a small signature on it
0: yeah well let me scrounge around in my parents basement which is where i <laughs> 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 where That's I perfect. keep all of my my goods um and uh I'll, I'll try to find something to contribute to your wall of fame perfect so you like this better
1: <laughs> um where should people follow you? Are you active like, on social media and uh, I, I, you have a website as well?
0: Yeah, I have uh, a two different uh, websites. I should probably direct them to CultivateCo.ca, which is the name of my business. You can find um, all the stuff about what I'm doing now professionally there. But also I'm pretty active on uh, Instagram. So MJ Ayim, A-Y-I-M is the last name and um not active on x but i did post a few times just because of the recent broadcast um so the name there is IM who iim i was feeling witty in university so i came up with that name um but those are the the top ones or so just google miranda Ayim and That's you'll sweet. find me only one in the world <laughs> as far as i know
1: oh yeah okay <laughs> i think i'm the only one as well Thanks. with an accent yes. um sweet any last word
0: no just thank you so much for for nope. having me it was thank a you for for
1: taking the time it's uh, when i started the podcast i had one i had many goals but one was like if i could have basketball players i would be at the top Like right. here here you go so thank you so much uh, for taking the time
0: amazing i love it
1: if you're still here it's probably because you liked the episode right So if you want the podcast to grow and get more exceptional athletes, you can play your part by following us on your favorite podcast platform and on Instagram at unfiltered.athletes. It really helps us. And until next time, enjoy life.